Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 142, Top 10 Sports Games! We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for allowing us to bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. Anthony, we are back with a brand new episode and hopefully equipment that works. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hold, hold your fingers together, folks. We are trying to get through this. So we got an episode for you about games that you probably don't think about very often, but are typically the biggest games out there. And we're talking about the top 10 sports games. Look, it turns out people like sports. Turns out even more so, people made games about sports. Sometimes. Sometimes they do. (laughs) Well, they did enough to fill a top 10 list, and that's about it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much where we're at, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. So we got that outstanding list for you that's coming up, and we have packs that's less than two weeks away, Anthony. Yeah, 10 days-ish from when this goes up. We will be in Philadelphia. So if you're also going to be in Philadelphia, hit us up. where you are going to be hanging out, checking out new games, hopefully some SN releases, meeting with publishers, and above all else, hopefully gaming with you guys. Definitely. And if there's something cool that's going on at PAX and you want to let us know, hit us up. You know, post to our Facebook, Twitter, hit us up on BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek. Obviously, we have our Patreon account. We have our iTunes and YouTube channel. We want to hear from you. And especially when you're down at PAX and you're meeting new gamers and you're meeting publishers and designers, tell them about the podcast. Tell them how you have a community that's there for gamers and spread the word about BGA. The more that you get that word out there, the more people that can talk about board gaming to a broader and broader spectrum of the board gaming and, I guess, sport universe. It may not be very long from now that board gaming eventually has its own ESPN channel. (laughs) We're coming, Olympics. We're coming for you. (laughs) Eventually. It'll be like ESPN, I don't know, 742 on your channel or something like that. But, you know, it'll eventually get there. The Ocho. (laughs) There you go. All right, so let's get into the episode. So, Anthony, what's our question of the week? All right, since we're going to PAX, and it is PAX Unplugged, but it is PAX, and that they have a video game route. So I asked people, what's a mechanic or trope from video games you'd like to see translated to board games? And the answers. So Michael mentioned automatic scorekeeping. Awesome. Uh, we had Guillermo mention a saving mechanism. Which Definitely. is interesting because Seventh Continent does have something like that, but as was pointed out here, it's it's just okay. So we're still working on that. <laughs> gotcha. Richard mentioned realistic loot drops. Oh. And Chris said tower defense. I like that. So. Yeah. I've seen that in some of the Kickstarter games, but I really haven't seen that in a fully fleshed out solid games. You know, I know there's there's been some League of Legend kind of clones where there's towers and there's minions kind of rushing towards it, but not a tower tower defense game of any kind of like hardcore level. Yeah, no, it's it's always skirting around the edges, which is what all of these games kind of do. They're like 
there's not a lot of things you can fully replicate from a video game to sure. a board game. Some mechanisms work, some don't. But for the most part, you just take like maybe one or two ideas from the game and then make that a game. Sure. I think probably the thing that maybe getting headway in the kind of the board gaming world is maybe a little bit more of this kind of open world type of thing, like like legacy games, like Charterstone's trying to do, where you can kind of build your own civilization, kind of like Minecraft in a way. Like these are your buildings. This is the stuff that benefits you. And you can kind of build from that and kind of build a larger and larger universe. So maybe we'll see more of that in the, in the future. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. All right. So that's our question of the week. Don't forget, you can join us on Twitter and Facebook. And let's hear from you. But until then, let's get on to our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, what do you have on mind that you hope hits the table really soon? All righty. So one of the big surprises of last year was Vast, the Crystal Caverns yep. from Leader Games, the incredibly, ridiculously asymmetrical game to the point where it's kind of difficult to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of. So we were kind of all waiting with bated breath for the next release from Leader Games, hoping that they would refine that a little bit, make it a little bit more accessible. And now we have Root. So Root is a two to four player game, and it takes place in the woods with these anthropomorphic animals. Same artist as Vast, Kyle Farron, so kind of that same um, type of look. And in this game, you take on the role of one of four different asymmetrical sides. You have the cats who have taken control of the woods and are building basically engine building, logistics, policing everything, kind of control the woods. Just like um, cats. Exactly. Cats are jerks. <laughs> um, <laughs> you have the Airy, which is hawks. They're trying to take back the woods. So they're trying to capture that territory and then build roosts. The Alliance, they're hiding in the shadows, uh, recruiting forces, hatching conspiracies. Um, so they kind of build slowly over the course of the game and are basically going for that one big play at the end. And then the Vagabond, who plays all sides and messes with everybody with some hidden goal that they're trying to achieve. So this one is a little more narrative-driven. And while it is still looks to be just as asymmetrical and kind of coming from different locations and pieces as vast, yeah. um, it does seem like to be on a little bit smaller of a scale, a little bit more accessible. It's not the same designer. This is uh, another designer that they've gone out and worked with Colin Werrell, Cole Werrell and I don't know it looks very charming so I'm keeping my eye very closely on it nice yeah I'm a big fan of the as you said the impossibly insane complex wondrous genius that's behind Vast and Root looks like to be a fun game and that's up on Kickstarter right now so if you're interested in finding more information jump on there and check it out All right, so I want to talk about a game that I'm looking forward to coming up that will also hit Kickstarter in the near future, and it was kind of shown off a little bit at Essen. This is Batman the Board Game. Now, I'm a Batman fan, but not the biggest Batman fan. I'm sure you're probably a much bigger Batman fan than I am. But nonetheless, Batman the Game here is based on Conan from Monolith Games, and this is Frederick Henry. And I really enjoyed Conan the board game. Now, I'm also kind of a Conan fan, but once again, you're still probably a better, bigger Conan fan than I am. But nonetheless, <laughs> what was really interesting about that game was it was one versus many. So you almost had this GM in the game that was fighting against you. But 
the GM kind of had to play by similar rules that you did and had this really unique setup where they had all of their villains and they're in this long row and they could play any of their villains, but the further down the row, the more expensive it is to play the bigger villains. So they kind of had to play them one at a time, typically, unless they really wanted to mix things up. And it really added something different to the game. It really added a nice level of complexity and fun. You were really challenged at kind of a Euro mechanic level. I remember playing that way back when at Double Exposure. And I was just like, oh, this is interesting. I see what they're trying to do. And we can kind of outthink them and try to beat them to the punch. Well, Conan did a really good job. It was insanely expensive, but absolutely wondrous miniatures with some issues here and there. But nonetheless, great game. Now, Batman does this with obviously a revision to the character's abilities so your batman characters are going to have more abilities which is great and batman in particular and some of the other characters there are going to have an intelligence ability so they're batman's actually going to be able to be a detective here so basically your different abilities allow you to roll a different number of dice and depending on the results of those dice you can i guess punch you could use a range attack you can use your special ability you can defuse bombs, a lot of different things in this kind of scenario-driven game. There's going to be two more types of dice in this game, so a total of five dice, which is really nice. Now, here's the kicker, which kind of blows my mind, and I think it's going to do it for the same two. There's a modified two-player setup, which each player has a full control board. So, like the GM-DM that's kind of controlling all their minions and their big baddie. Well, in, in this two-player version of the game... Both people have that. So you could have Batman and his whole Bat family with him versus Joker and all the different baddies on that side. And you can play back and forth against each other with those tile sets up instead of just playing individual characters. That just kind of blows my mind, offers a radically different way to play the game. So now you have a two-player game or one versus many game. And I think that's going to allow this game to get to the table a lot more I am really, really excited for Batman the board game when it hits Kickstarter and it drains every last dollar that I have. I'm so spending all my money on this. It's just crazy. You, you talk about, oh, you guys are bigger Batman fans. I'm the bigger Batman <laughs> fan. I promise you that. That's true. <laughs> Batman's been like, that's the one comic I'll always pick up. That's the one thing I'll see no matter how bad the movie is. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I'm more of a Marvel fan on that end. But nonetheless, this looks great. I mean... I mean, aren't you excited about that to be able to play all the villains or all the good guys on those big boards? Yeah, mechanically speaking, it sounds awesome, but I don't even think it matters. You're just like, there's Batman miniatures, and it's kind of like this other game you like. <laughs> Done! I'm not well, going to look at the Kickstarter page. I'm just going to back it and then maybe read it over the next couple weeks. It's a solid proven mechanic. I think just like Anachrony, which you talked about last week, the cost sometimes keeps you away from a very high-quality game. So... This game's going to cost a lot because the miniatures are fantastic and the IP is going to cost you a lot because it's a DC IP. So the intellectual property here is going to cost you a lot of money. But the fact that this is a proven mechanic that's been refined, that's in this game, as you said, automatic back. So, so automatic. <laughs> there you go. All right. So that's everything for our acquisition disorders. Now to our at the table. So Anthony, what's been hitting your table this week? Alrighty, so I got a chance to pick up an early copy of London, second edition. <sighs> Come on, uh, man. <laughs> somebody posted on BGG that they had it on Book Depository. Uh, it's a UK-based website, and they shipped it all the way over here to Pittsburgh for me. 
It only took like four or five days um, at a ridiculously reduced price. I'm not really sure how or why or any of that, but I got it and I'm happy because this was a game I actually got to play a while ago, but was upset because it was out of print. So this is Martin Wallace. And it is a complete redesign from a visual perspective. Now, most of the mechanics are the same, although there is a pretty significant change here where there used to be a map of the city. It is gone now, um, replaced by cards. The basic mechanism of the game is you have this deck of cards representing different locations and people in the city. And you will start the game with a number of these cards as well as some money. There's also a board in the middle of the of the table that has places for you to place these cards when you discard them and a score track. There's poverty tokens. You will take on poverty tokens every time you run your city. And then there are city cards, borough cards that represent the different locations in London that you can also purchase for bonuses throughout the game. On your turn, you will do one of a few things. You will either build one of the cards in your hand, place it on a stack in front of you, and it may have a cost. It may not. You play as you will. You can buy a borough card. And they all have a cost in the upper right corner, usually between five and eight pounds. You can run your city, which basically allows you to activate any card in front of you that is face up. And you can have as many face up cards in front of you as you want. But if you get too many, bad things happen. So you have to be careful. Every time you run your, uh, run your city, some of those cards have a symbol on them that say that you flip the card over. And that means you flip it over. It goes face down on that stack. And you can build another card on top of that now face down card. So you're not building a new stack. But that card is now gone from from play. Um, if it has points on it, it's still worth points at the end of the game. But for now, you can't use it anymore. Other cards don't have that and are just persistent and give you that action every round. Some of them are just worth victory points and take up a spot on your um, in your tableau, which is not good for very various reasons. And then the fourth action is you can draw cards. So if you run out of cards, you draw cards. Now, when you run the city you have to take poverty. And the way the poverty works is you get one poverty for every stack in your city. So not the total number of cards that are face down in front of you or face up, but the total number of stacks. So if you went hog wild and put out eight cards and have this massive city that activates and gives you all this stuff, you also take at least eight poverty every time you run it. At the same time, you take one poverty for every card in your hand. So you're almost always gonna take at least five poverty and the reason that's important is at the end of the game, poverty is negative points. Uh, it starts at negative one for one poverty, goes up to 10 poverty being negative 15 points, and then every poverty after that is negative three. So it's a Martin Wallace game. There's a lot of negative points. The, in, the kicker here is that whoever has the least amount of poverty, everybody subtracts that number. So if you know I have eight and Chris has 12 and somebody has 11, we all subtract eight poverty and then that's the number that you're gonna use for negative points. So you might end up with 20 something. It's not that bad unless somebody else has three. And then and then they manage to get one over on everybody else. There are loans in this game as well. And I gotta be honest, I remember them playing a bigger role when I played on the old version, but the couple of plays I've had of this now, nobody took more than one loan. Uh, there are negative seven points at the end of the game if you can't repay them. Uh, but everybody had at least one. So it wasn't really that big of an issue. But it is, you know, manage your money. Make sure you have enough. If you can't play any of the cards in your hand because they all cost money, you're going to have to take a loan. That's no good. It's a game I always enjoyed. And I'm so glad I finally get to pick up a copy because it was out of print for a very long time. It is a beautiful production from Osprey Publishing. This is, I just, I love, it's this old-timey, classical look. Everything's very clean and stark and 
high quality components as always from these guys. It's got their fold out box similar to the last few releases, which I love such a pretty production. And while the front cover of the game is not as you know engaging or enticing as that beautiful Vista of London on the older version, it looks like a new version of the game. The artwork's fantastic. I like how this the borough cards work uh, versus the board. It takes up a lot less space on the tabletop. Um, it's quick to run through them. It gives people fewer options to look at. You don't have to worry about what's connected to what. And it just flows really smoothly. So this is definitely, for me at least, a game worth picking up. I don't know what the MSRP is going to be once it gets out here, but I think it's a very solid, accessible, not super crunchy uh, Martin Wallace game that takes in those stock and poverty elements, but doesn't really overdo it. You get to build a nice tableau. You're always doing cool stuff. This one's a buy. Definitely check it out. All right. So let me talk about a game that I recently got to play. And that is and that is Word Domination. This is by Jeff Beck, and the publisher is Uproarious Games with the artist Ryan Goldsberry. Now, you might know his wonderful artwork from so many of his other games, from paperback and from, I guess, the upcoming hardback that will soon be hitting tables. And it's that wonderful kind of, like, throwback, I guess, to the 1940s and 50s. Here it is, another diabolical James Bond supervillains trying to take over the world and once again it's all about word games okay all right so in word domination you are one of these supervillains trying to take over I guess not just the word but the world so you will ransack backstab and steal your way to victory but basically you are playing boggle more or less so at the start of the game you start off with a grid of letters and you are given a letter to start with yourself. You take that letter, you place it on the on the outside of the original grid, and then you spell a word using your Zeppelin tokens that you are placing on these different letter cards. It doesn't have to be adjacent, so you can make up any word that you want using as many of the letters that are available as possible. You can't use a letter twice unless the, the letter exists there twice. And once your Zeppelins are down, the next player goes. Now, when they go and they make their word after they place down their letter and use that letter in the word, if their Zeppelins go on the cards that you have a Zeppelin on, your Zeppelins get bumped off. And that goes around and around and around and around. Now, if you do get an opportunity, if you've spelled a word big enough, or if you just got lucky enough and your Zeppelins were on certain letters and you spell a different word, you can't spell the same word twice, and a Zeppelin falls on that same letter, you get to steal that letter. And that letter kind of goes into your tableau that you're able to use on your future words. And then you put a stolen card out there in that open tableau. And that's going to score you a victory point at the end of the game. Now, in addition to building these words, knocking other people's Zeppelins off and doubling down your Zeppelins so that you can take that letter into your own personal tableau. If you play the advanced game, you will actually have a special ability. That special ability is different depending on the player that you have. And you would turn in six or so of those tiles that you have in your tableau, use that special ability, which will alter the game state of that tableau in order to benefit you to put your letters and your Zeppelins in better positions. But the downside, like with any supervillain, is that they have a weakness. And really nice little kind of, you know, 
text and game fluff to go along with this. So, for example, the Count's weakness is speeches. So when he goes into his monologues, that kind of throws him off. So you, he cannot, once he's claimed a letter, claim another word if he claimed a letter with any of the letters in the word speeches. So it just kind of slows you down a little bit in order to kind of give a little more flavor to the game. But basically, the game goes the same way, and you can play with the basic side that doesn't have that special ability and that special weakness. So as the game goes on, you're collecting letters. Eventually, the board is filled up and all the letters are out there. You score points based upon your stolen letters. And if you're able to group the letters that you have stolen, you'll gain additional victory points. Now, this game reminded me a great deal of another word game we talked about not too long ago, Letter Tycoon where some of the letters in that tableau are special letters and will give you a special ability. So, for example, if you claim the F, that's the fusion reactor, and you would be able to draw two tiles at the end of your turn, pick one and return the other. So, that's kind of fun. I like those difficult letters, trying to put those into words, trying to steal those letters. Gives you something of, you know, a little different asymmetrical gameplay. But basically, it's making words. Best vocabulary typically wins. This game is a solid play. I really did enjoy this game. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun with this one. It was surprising. I, I bought it because it was a word game, but it's been very accessible. Yep. Really did enjoy this a great deal. All right. And that is word domination. All right. Now on to our feature review. So for this feature, we are talking about the top 10 sports games. All right, sports fans out there, whether you love sports or just love games, this works out perfectly for you. You don't have to be a fan of that particular sport to love this board game, but it does help because a lot of these games do incorporate a lot of the mechanics of those sports and sometimes even the historical content that goes along with it. And sometimes it's just a lot of fun. All right, Anthony, why don't you take us through our top 10 sports games? All right, let's kick it off. Drew's not here, but we're going to represent for him anyways. Stratomatic Baseball at number 10. Stratomatic's been around since 1962, and they still release new stuff every year. Wow. So this is a full-blown simulation where you can play either on the card and dice version, which you can get the new cards for every year, or you can play the computer version. But you are basically simulating each of the games throughout the season and there's all sorts of stats and charts and numbers and player cards. And if you really, really like the numbers and statistics and background of baseball and less the visual, then this is the game for you. <laughs> full, blown, full blown simulation here. Next up on the list, number nine, we have Pizza Box Football. This has been around for a little while as well. And this is another one that uh, kind of fits into the simulation space with dice, so kind of playing off of the whole uh, stratomatic side of things, but not nearly as in-depth. So you are basically trying to play through four different quarters of football, or there are multiple scenarios you can play through as well, and it has a whole bunch of dice rolling, there's some bluffing mechanics, and you are playing one-on-one, -on -one, or you can play it solo um, against the scenarios in the game. So this is one of the more popular football games, has been around for a little while. New content is available, fan-made as well. So lots of good stuff here if you're a football fan. Pitch Car at number eight. And you can tell I didn't make this list because, ugh, <laughs> Pitch Car. Yay, Pitch Car! Woohoo! You're just sore because I won the Pitch Car Championship at our board game store like forever ago. 
Yeah, I mean, I got like dead last, so it wasn't even close. <laughs> number one, baby, number one. <laughs> the only reason I'm even remotely interested in this anymore is because I have kids and they like flicking stuff. So, Pitchcar, you are flicking a little uh, disc around the board and you make your own tracks however you want to do it. There's like dozens of track packs. It is a dexterity game through and through, but there is a lot of racing elements, a lot of careful strategizing of when to flick, where to flick, how to flick. It's one of the slower, more thoughtful dexterity games out there, which doesn't matter because I'm still horrible at it. Uh, (laughs) Next on the list is one that I like, that I put here, and that's Formula D coming in at number seven. So Formula D is a dice rolling fest. It is essentially roll and move, although I hate saying that because I do like it so much. It's roll and Uh, move. It's but you've got a little dashboard, you're controlling stuff, you got a clutch and some brakes and stuff. But yeah, it is really roll and move. You're shifting up and then getting bigger dice that you can use. Um all the way up to the D thirty. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's the only reason to play this. D thirty. Um and, but if you go too high, you get that press your luck element and you roll that D thirty and you go way too many spaces and run into a wall, then you blow up. So Got to balance that a little bit. It's so much fun. I've always had so much fun playing this game. It's hard to get a group together to play it, at least in my normal Euro group, because it is a roll and move game. But it definitely feels like kind of that arcadey Formula One fast race approach. And there's so many maps for it. All righty. So at number six, on the other side of the racing coin, we have one that's attempts to be more of a simulation style approach to stock car racing. And that's Thunder Alley. And this game's actually been re-skinned and re-themed in two different versions as well. So you have Grand Prix, which is more of the F1 style, and then Apocalypse Road, which is Mad Max style. I'm not sure that's been released yet, but all the same kind of system. You have this card-based system. It's hand management where you're trying to control these different tr- cars around the track. It plays as little as two, as many as seven. It has all the things you'd expect in a car racing game. You have drafting, you have accidents, you have yellow flags. You have to manage your pit strategy. Just a whole bunch of fun. And it manages to take all that stuff from racing games, put it into a Euro, and it actually works pretty well. Uh, I do like both of these, but very different approaches for de- very different moods, one would say. Number five on the list, we have the NHL Power Play Team Building Card Game. That say sounds that three like a times fast. Yeah, <laughs> never again. Um, that sounds like a throwaway, like something you'd find, you know, in a Walmart, you know, bargain bin. But this is a Cryptozoic Entertainment game. It is with the Cerberus engine, so it is a deck building game, very similar to all the other ones you know, DC Deck Builder, Naruto, Street Fighter, all those games, but with NHL players. And there are like no other NHL board games. <laughs> at all so <laughs> if you like hockey and you want a card game or a board game this is where you want to go and it's it's a fairly decent game because it's a proven system it's we call it our potato chip game and uh it fits across a lot of different themes all right number four we have another football game first and goal this is a card and dice game in which you are facing off against it's two to four players and you have these different teams that come i believe you can get expansions that kind of come you know give you different options and different teams that you can play as but the dice are going to represent your running your passing your defense your playing your referees your penalties and then there's decks of cards with your offense and your defense different cards and expansions come in division packs 
this does a great job of kind of simulating the feel and strategy of football. The main drawback of this game, of course, is you have to sticker all those dice. Ugh. Yeah, I've seen people doing it. It doesn't look fun. Nope. Number three, getting back to the baseball. Bottom of the ninth. This was released by Greater Than Games 2015, and it is a one to two player card game and dice game, and you are simulating the bottom of the ninth inning. You have one player as the pitcher, one player as the hitter, and you are playing cards and bluffing, basically trying to outmaneuver each other and throw pitches that the other player misses. You're rolling dice, though, to make this happen, uh, so you can't control too much of it. And then each of these dice is going to correspond to different abilities on your player cards. The player cards are done up like old school baseball cards. So the front is just a character and their position. A lot of them based on people in the company. They had some expansions with like Sentinels of the Multiverse characters. And then on the back, it has all their abilities based on those dice you roll. Uh, game is very quick for the most part. It says five to 20 minutes. It tends to go a little bit longer unless someone gets lucky on their rolls early on. Um, the expansion has a whole bunch of new content and they just released an app. So it is a I wouldn't say it's a solid baseball simulation, but it definitely has a fun feel to it, reminiscent of kind of those down to the wire moments, pitcher versus player. And the production and presentation are pretty fantastic. Number two, Flamme Rouge. Flamme Rouge is a bicycle racing game, so not your traditional sports. And it's set in the early 20th century, so it's not not particularly recent. But the reason that it's so far up here is because it does a really good job of very, very simply simulating the push and pull of a two person bicycle team. Um, you have two characters uh, and each of them is going to be moved by different cards that you're going to be playing. And that's basically it. you're going to play a card, you're going to move a guy and you're trying to position yourself in ways to block other people off, especially during these different bottlenecks where people can't pass each other. And ideally get one of them to the end first. The tracks can be very modular. So you're going to build the track every time you play. Um, just these little cardboard pieces. So it has recommendations out of the box. There's other ways to build it. There's expansions already on the way. Very, very fun, quick, easy, and accessible. It doesn't seem like it should have as much strategy as it does, considering you have so few actual decisions to make every turn but it really, really works well. And you have to be careful and economical because you do eventually run out of cards. So it is uh, the kind of game that sneaks up on you and then all of a sudden you think, wow, this is a lot better and smarter than it seemed like at first. So that's Flamme Rouge at number two. And then number one has to be a baseball game. And in our opinion, the best baseball game, Baseball Highlights 2045. This is Mike Fitzgerald's card game from a couple years ago. And they've been expanding it and adding new content to it ever since. Um, a, a new starter edition came out just recently off Kickstarter with even more content and a kind of more accessible um, way to get into the game since they released the deluxe edition way back when. The basic idea of the game is you put together a team, you have a handful of cards, and you play a series of games, one against the other. Um, I think you can play this game with more than two people, but it's really just a two-player game. And you're playing through a series. So you can play kind of a longer period and you build up all these different abilities because at the end of every game, you're going to spend resources that you get during the game to get new players via the, the, the trade market, um, free market there. 
And then those cards make your team a little bit better. And you can go out there and hopefully have built the best team by the end of it and win four out of seven games. Um, Each of those little games takes about five to ten minutes. So the game ends up being less than an hour, even by going through all seven of them. And the cool thing about it is the theme. It feels like a nice baseball game. Like thematically, it really works. But because, you know, Eagle Griffin couldn't get the MLB license and they weren't going to try. So they made it insane. Like, why make it generic when you can make it crazy? You have cyborgs, you have naturals, which are just humans. Um, You have all these different crazy looking robots and machines and half humans and a handful of humans. They all have recognizable names that kind of take the first names and last names from famous players and smash them together. Um, All these different teams you can pick up. You can get coaches and other cards that kind of um, influence the game and augment the rules a little bit. Lots and lots of content here. Very expandable, quick, fun, um, and definitely my favorite baseball game. And our number one sports game. All right, so that's our top ten sports games. Definitely check them out, whether you're a big sports fan or just love board games. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a starting spot at the table.